Um, I'm not sure if I am more of a preacher or a teacher, but my day job is definitely teaching. And so I'm going to start out today the way every good teacher was, and that's with a review. So if you have a bulletin, I need you to get out your notes. I need you to flip over to the side that has some scripture verses and some rectangular boxes on there. And I've given you the ti- a title and a, and a key verse from the last five weeks of sermons on manhood. And your job today, yes, you have to do a little bit of work, is to draw a picture in each one of those boxes that will help you remember what was taught beyond just this room. Uh, you need to feel free to draw whatever works for you, but I'm going to show you some examples and give you some ideas. And I don't want masterpieces, I want a quick sketch. We have to get to our fiesta later, so we don't want to take too much time with this. And I'm going to start with box number one. Uh, a number of weeks ago, Pastor Dave started this, this series talking about godly ambitions. And out of 1 John 2.15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And I want you this morning to, to draw... A globe for me. I had an anonymous friend who drew some pictures for me so that you don't feel so bad and at your own pictures and also did a much better job than I would do. So I want you to draw the earth. Doesn't have to be as detailed as that. And I want you to put a giant X over it. All right. The point is we need to set our eyes on eternal things and not on worldly things. I'm going to go quickly, and, and you can feel free during the rest of the sermon to go back and, and work on those pictures if you would like. Pastor Dave continued the next week talking about godly strength. Out of Luke 12, 5, it says, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Today, I want you to draw two objects in that, in that second box. You, any objects you want. And they need, they need to put the picture in your head of the correct fear, something that we ought to have fear of, and something not so much. Uh, the, the example that I've given you is a sword and a pillow. If you want to draw a tank and a Nerf gun or some other comparative picture, go for it. Uh, the point is, if you saw a tank or a sword coming towards you, and hopefully none of us will ever see that, we would have correct, right fear of that. A Nerf gun or a pillow being swung, not so much. Chet, pardon me, Chuck talked to us about reading God's directions or God's letter to us. And he talked to us about the success that we have, can have, when we are a disciple and when we are discipling others. And out of 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want you to draw a picture for me of a single stick figure on one side of the paper, or the box, and on the other side a group. And the idea here is that there are no Lone Ranger Christians. We do this in a community, and we need to be spending time with each other, helping each other grow in our relationship with Christ. We had Jason Nightingale, and Jason Nightingale talked about strength versus power. He talked out of Matthew 5, verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. And in this box, I want you to draw three things. On, on the bottom, 
We're going to stair-step it up or maybe draw them right on top of each other. Pick, pick any favorite earthly possession. Anything, anything that's important to you, of value to you, a car, a house. The person who drew, drew my sample for me knew me well and drew a Mountain Dew at the bottom. And on top of that, I want you to just draw some more stick figures. All right. People ought to be more important than our earthly possessions. And on top of that, I want you to draw the cross. And through Jason, we know that we will be salty. We will be effective Christians when we love God above all else. And when we're giving hope to the world of heaven over hell. Last week, of course, Chet talked to us about brokenness. I want to read you Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to do your best today to draw a picture of a horse and a rider holding the reins. Good luck with that one. And like King David, you and I need to be humble. We need to be useful to our Heavenly Father. We're going to come back to that last box at the end of our time today, and I'll try to sum up and and give you some ideas that you can draw in box number six. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. My, own, my kids were a little bit excited because I told them I was going to give them permission to draw in church today. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read down to verse 17. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I'm going to talk to you about sin today. And our ability, because God sent his son to live in freedom from sin. If you have never acknowledged that Jesus is who he claimed he is, if you have never invited him to be in charge of your life, then all this talk about the spirit and flesh and law and righteousness probably won't make much sense. But if I raise some questions in your mind today, or you're curious about why sin is such a big deal, or maybe you want to know who is this Jesus the Christ, the real person that we're talking about, please make sure that you come talk to me or find any one of the members of our church family. Sin. John MacArthur writes, Sin is any personal lack of conformity to the moral character of God or the law of God. Then sin is a disposition of the heart. It is a bent. It thinks evil, it speaks evil, it acts evil, and it omits good. Let me give you those four because those are the four ways in which you sin. You sin by thinking evil, speaking evil, acting evil, or omitting good. You sin when you do, when you say, when you think, or when you don't do, say, or think what God commands you to do. We're going to look at Romans chapter 7, verse 21 to 25, as we build some background about sin. Paul is writing in this passage, and he's writing to us as a believer in Christ. And he says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I'm by no means an expert in theology, but I hope you'll stick with me, and I hope that when we walk away today, you'll have a better understanding, or a renewed understanding, or at least a challenged understanding of this. We need to understand first and foremost that as a born-again Christian, our position before God is that we are redeemed, we are justified, we have been made new in our inner spirit. And that inner spirit, as I've highlighted up here, wants to obey God. But we still live in our flesh, our body, our sinful nature. And it makes that clear here in Romans 7 as well. It's a little bit like this bag. This bag is representing me this morning. It's a little beat up and getting more wrinkly every day. And... Uh, before I was a Christian, I was a little bit like this nasty sock. My daughter wore it all over the place yesterday, through the mud and other things. All right. And in Christ Jesus, because of what he has done for me, I've been made new. And that's not me anymore. All right. 
This is me. The new clean sock. Uh -huh. And like we read in Romans 8, I'm free from sin. I'm a new creation in Christ. Sin no longer has power over me. But the problem is, my sock still lives in the old bag. And this is my flesh that still wages war to sin with me. And on, on an amazing side note, Jesus lived in a similar kind of crumpled bag as we do. Hebrews 2.17 says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, that in order, pardon me, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What a great promise. So how is this understanding that I'm free from sin, I'm free, but I'm still at war with sin? How does this affect me? How does it affect us? A, a paraphrased version of Romans 6, verses 1 to 3 says this. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and we left for good? When we went under the water, pardon me, that is what happened in baptism. We went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind, and we came up out of the water. We entered into a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. And today we can understand, our heads can understand, that it's foolish for us to keep living in sin. We've entered the new country. God packed us up and we left. But most of us are like a prisoner who's been unshackled. The chains have been taken off, and the prison doors have been opened wide. And somehow, still in our flesh, we say, eh, I'm not really that bad. Uh, I know I'm not a perfect Christian, but it's not really a big deal. And we walk right back into the jail cell, and we shackle ourselves. And I want to be honest this morning. I want you to be honest. We all struggle. We all have the tendency to walk back into the jail cell. And I don't know what it is that you struggle with. Maybe it's lust or pride or gluttony or greed. Maybe it's gossip, whatever it is. But we also know that God doesn't want that for us. And our spirit doesn't want that because we've been set free. A Christian friend recently expressed years of frustration that they knew God, but they didn't know how to live for him. And maybe you were like I was for years, that you felt like a failure and a lousy Christian because you couldn't seem to win this battle with sin. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. I'm not here this morning to give anyone license to sin. And nor do I want you to copy the world's thinking that says guilt is a bad thing. But my hope for you this morning is that you take encouragement for yourself, 
and that you give more grace to others because we are all in this conflict. A battle that won't be completely won until we're given a new bag, a new body in heaven. Jesus got his new body at the resurrection. And we can look forward to ours like Joy Polson. We can look forward to that someday as well. Um, uh, before I move on, and I want to give you three, three things that should help you in this battle for sin. For those of you taking notes, I'll leave that up there for a few moments. I want to give you three concrete things that can help us not go back into that prison cell. Three things that can help us to not put on the shackles of sin. And number one is that this battle, it's an understanding that this battle is about more than just not sinning. This battle is about more than just not sinning. Verse 13 in Romans 6 says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You are to be an instrument or a tool of doing righteous things. We know that sin can be by commission. That means doing something we shouldn't do. And it can be by omission, not doing something we're supposed to do. But I think we need to train ourselves to see those two as interconnected. In John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus himself says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. We must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We were made like Jesus to do our Father's work. Someday this old body is going to be gone and we won't be able to work anymore. But now, while we're here on this earth, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And that comes right after Paul gets done telling us that we're saved by grace through faith. So the next time you're tempted to sin, I want you to stop. And I want you to consider what good action or what good work or good thing you could and should be doing instead of sinning. Men, if you're tempted to lust... Stop and pray for another brother, any brother, because they might be tempted at that same moment and they need your intercessory prayer. It can be as simple as taking out the garbage or as difficult as witnessing to a coworker. But Satan wants us to sin, not because he gains anything from it, but because it keeps us from doing God's good work. Number two. We know we're in this battle. Romans made that clear. But praise God, he doesn't send us in unarmed. I want to read you a portion of a letter this morning from John Piper entitled, Some Proven Weapons in the Fight for Holiness. Thank you to my mom for sending this to me. When Paul says to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, that's Romans 8.13, I take him to mean that we should use the one weapon in the spirit's armor that is used to kill, namely the sword, which is the word of God. So when the body is about to be led into a sinful action by some fear or craving, we are to take the sword of the spirit 
and kill that craving. In my experience, John Piper talking, that mainly means severing the root of sin's promise by the power of a superior promise. So, for example, when I begin to crave some illicit sexual pleasure, the sword swing that has often severed the root of this promised pleasure is Matthew 5.8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I recall the pleasure pleasures I have tasted of seeing God more clearly from an undefiled conscience. And I recall the brevity and the superficiality and the oppressive aftertaste of sin's pleasure. And with that, God has killed the conquering power of sin. It's a beautiful thing to be the instrument of God's word-wielding power to kill sin. Having promises at hand that suit the temptation of the hour is one key to successful warfare against sin. But there are times when we don't have a perfectly suited word from God in our minds. And there is no time to look through the Bible for a tailor-made promise. So we all need to have a small arsenal of general promises ready to use whenever fear or a craving threaten to lead us astray. Here are a few of my most proven weapons. I've listed them here and I think they're in, in your notes. Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I have slain more dragons in my soul with that sword than any other, I think. It is a precious weapon to me. Or back to Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How many times have I been persuaded in the hour of trial by this verse that the reward of disobedience could never be greater than all things? Or, out of Psalms, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. What makes this weapon so compelling is that God's helping me is made the occasion of me glorifying him. An amazing arrangement. I get the help. He gets the glory. He encourages us to be constantly adding to our arsenal of promises, but never lose sight of the chosen few that God has blessed in your life. Do both. Be ever ready with the old, and every morning look for a new one to take with you throughout the day. Don't wait for temptation on this one. Be prepared. I even give you permission to tune me out for the rest of our time this morning if you want to take some time and memorize one of those scriptures. And lastly, number three. We need intimacy with God in this battle. Back in Romans chapter 8, I read it earlier, I want to read it again. Verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Ethan, would you come up here? I didn't rehearse this or even tell him that he was coming up here today. This 
is my adopted son, Ethan. I'm going to get down here low so maybe you can hear his voice. All right. Who am I? Dad. And do you know, buddy, that I'm not your biological dad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do I love you? Yes. How much do you think I love you? Around the world. All the, like, like I love you this much? No, we are around the world. Yeah, from this finger all the way around the world and back, huh? All right, I do. I love you a ton. All right, thanks for coming up here. That's, that's my, you can have a seat, buddy. That's my double adopted son. My wife and I adopted him, and I have had to sacrifice some time, some resources, a lot of energy for him. But our Heavenly Father adopted him also. And how much more did my Heavenly Father sacrifice for him? The pain, the suffering, the separation, even the death. And I'm just his imperfect Abba Father. We're talking today in Romans 8 about our perfect Heavenly Father. And that God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. He doesn't want to be a stranger that we turn to every once in a while for help. And he doesn't want us to be fearful slaves. Another translation says this. It says, his spirit joins with our spirit. That's real intimacy. And we ought to risk everything, every day, to set aside all of our wants all of our seemingly important pleasures to follow and obey Him. And why? Because He's important to us. Because we know Him. Because He knows us. And because we have an intimate, a close relationship. Kip McCormick wrote this recently. He said, Intimacy in any relationship is important to keep that relationship vibrant and growing. And our relationship with God is no exception to that statement. One author wrote, Jesus established a whole new way of relating to God. He often reclined at meals with people. He stopped along the road to chat. He touched them. He embraced them. He called them by name. And they him. Jesus is always closing the distance. And the encounters in the gospel are intimate. My goodness, the whole incarnation is intimate. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is always closing the distance with us. What a concept that is so important for us to grasp as followers of Christ. God, Abba, my Papa, he loves me and he sacrificed himself to turn me from this into this. And I need to hang out more with him. I need to talk more to him. I need to listen more to him. I need to be more thankful. Because the better we know God, the more likely we are to obey him and choose not to sin. I love the encouraging promise at the end of this chapter, Romans 8. It says, yet in all things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, give us the grace, the grace we need in this battle, and give us grace, overflowing grace, to give it to one another. Help us to encourage one another in the good work that you have for us.
Father, help us to spend time with you, to know your word, to be ready with your sword. And help us to get to know you more. Thank you that you are available all the time. Lord, we do it all for your glory. We do it all because of your goodness. Thank you that we can be more than conquerors in this battle with sin. In your son's precious name, amen.